After fighting and coaching his way through a storied 47-year professional hockey career, Mike Milbury's gloves are again off for his next chapter as a radio host, talking about the NHL, the Boston Bruins, and the hockey world at large. Brought to you by Ketchis Law. Since 1986, they've had the backs of every hardworking tradesman in New England who finds themselves injured on the worksite. You pay nothing unless they win. So get your free consultation today at catcheslaw.com or by calling 508-321-7000. Yes, indeed. Gloves off hockey right here on 1510 WMEX with Mike Milbury and your friend Ben Rabinovitz. Mike, the playoffs are on the Bruins. Game one action. I can't wait to break this down, but doesn't it feel like the true greatest time of year? It is, and uh, I'm not talking about the Red Sox or the Celtics or even the marathon. <laughs> it's for a, it's a time for hockey, especially after the season that the Bruins just had. But the, that season is done. Historic it may have been, but the one that really counts starts now, Ben, and uh, we really didn't have a chance to give our predictions on what this series might look like. What? How, how long do you think it would? How long would you have predicted if you didn't have the first game on your belt? Would you have thought it would go? If I had to go just by paper, I mean, I know the Panthers are a different team than they were. I know where the bees stand as of obviousness here in history. I figured they would have found a way to push it to at least five or six. I didn't think they were going to go that easy. Uh, but serious, in all seriousness. Well, I, I I had it at four or five, um, you know, and and there's a good reason. I mean, I, first of all, if you had told me that uh, I was picking four or five for the Bruins over the Florida Panthers last October, uh, the Panthers being last year's President's Trophy winners, although they had a couple of huge offseason moves, uh, I, I wouldn't have been picking them in four or five games. But, you know, here we are after having seen – what the Bruins can do in the regular season. Um, but let's just pretend that we didn't have that first game for just a couple minutes uh, and match them up. Um, you know, the goaltending, first of all, is Boston shot at a goaltender last night who's one of the best stories in the NHL this season. One of the absolute best stories. And no question that he had a nearly flawless year. He should be hands down winner of the Vezina Trophy. And, and, and I don't know what happened to him, what his style, his style change, or he just matured, or give Bob Essenza, the goalie coach, some credit. But it's been textbook. He followed Park with the puck with kind of laser, laser-like vision. Um, he was a block positionally all year long, um, completely unflappable, really seemed confident and comfortable in the net. And I've never seen a goaltender with more timely saves. Uh, not a better goalie in the league, as I mentioned, and not to mention that they had a backup. I can't call him a backup. 1A Swayman, who had a little stumble out of the gate, but really finished the season as could have been the number one goaltender for most teams in the league. And when it comes to the playoffs, you've got to have the goaltending. As you know, if it lets you down, it lets you, well, it kills you. It doesn't just let you down, it kills you. And contrast that. To Florida's goaltending coming into this season. The year started with a $10 million goaltender, Sergei Bobrovsky in net, who's been up and down, enigmatic at best, and a young up-and-coming Spencer Knight, who was supposed to be the goaltender of the future. Bobrovsky became a bust, and Spencer Knight hit some tough times and got off the rails and was put on the shelf, and I hope he gets better, whatever the problem is. So Who's next for the Florida Panthers? They go to Alex Lyon, a 30-year-old journeyman who's, who's had stops in Philadelphia, Carolina. Um, to be sure, there was a huge advantage to the Bruins here unless the Panthers somehow roll the dice and go, go to Bobrovsky and he hits the, the rollback button and becomes the Sergei Bobrovsky of old. And so, so if you were looking at this to start the series, massive advantage to the Boston Bruins. And that gives me, would give me a lot of confidence if I were a Bruins fan. And the defense coming in, we've seen what Hampus Lindholm can do. He's, he's a Norris Trophy candidate for me. I know Carlson had all the points, but Lindholm is a two-way player. McAvoy is tough as nails and a number one defenseman, no matter how you slice it. And when the Bruins picked up Dmitry Orlov, nobody knew. I, I always liked Orlov, but, you know, 
<clears throat> if he's not a one, he's a one A, and he's doing things more more now than he ever did in a Washington Capitals uniform. I think his ability to get the green light from Jim Montgomery has been a godsend for him. <clears throat> you round out the rest of it with Brandon Carlos that maybe he's the most improved Bruin uh, of the year, uh, playing better than he has in his whole career, both offensively and a little bit more bite defensively. Not He's not a Godzilla back there, but he's he's at least using his body a bit. Clifton is a, you know, he's sort of a chihuahua, just bites at your heels. And, and, and Derek Forbert, who was injured for the last little stretch, came back and will play regularly defensive, penalty-killing, stalwart extraordinaire. And that leaves Matt Grizzlick, at least for now, out to lunch. And this is the second-best plus-minus player in the league who can move the puck really well, who seem to be able to avoid getting hurt and getting hit in big ways. Um, he'd be in the top four, top five of any other team in the league except for Boston. You contrast that with the Panthers. They've got Aaron Ekblad. And then what else? Rodko Gudis, who's a tough, hard-nosed player, but hardly a, an all-star. Brandon Montour, a little bit of a slick player, but susceptible to giveaways into physical play. Mark Stahl, he's like 110, I think. So no contest at goal, no contest on the defensive side. And we talked about the defense, uh, the forward depth on the Bruins. We know the first line, even without Bergeron last night. Marchand, DeBras going to get it done. Uh, hopefully Bergeron comes back. We'll talk about that in a minute. Zaka, Krejci, Pasternak, you know the list of guys. Hall, Coyle, and Bertuzzi. Frederick, Noshik, Felino, Hathaway, Pike. The list just keeps going on. Okay, Florida can score some goals. Barkov is an excellent player. Tuchuk is the one that scares me, mostly because he's so good offensively, and he is good offensively, but he's a bull in a china shop. And if he can, if he can light somebody up, he will. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he laid, laid some serious – physical hits on people, and I and I worry about him hurting somebody. Sam Bennett, okay. Londell, okay. Good four-checking team. Work really hard at it. The D jumps up, but strike three. No close no close call at all here between the forwards on both teams. So if you were talking about who to pick at the beginning of the series, I, I don't know why you wouldn't pick four or five games. I, I just, you know, it started off last night where the Bruins were pretty good in the first five minutes. And they drew a penalty in the power play, which has been somewhat improved lately, drew first blood. And without Bergeron, I, I hate to say this, you know, one of my favorite all-time players, but without him, the new looks are interesting and, and they're problematic for the opposition. And Tyler Bertuzzi got net front duty on this particular play. Great movement on the perimeter. Krejci takes a shot and Bertuzzi, who was terrific all night long, You'd think he would have just slapped at the rebound, but no look pass to Postanov, who had a four by six empty net to to just dump it in. It was it was a thing of beauty and a and a really heady offensive play by Bertuzzi. I I think it's it's sort of marked a although his first shift had he had a couple of hits, it marked a, a sort of turning point for him in terms of the view of the fans. This guy's just not another plugger. He's got some real skill. Don't you agree, Ben? Absolutely. The hands and the vision. I mean, the, this guy must have eyes in the back of his head. That no-look pass to just send it backwards into open space. I mean, that was something special. And that's the kind of play that when you pair that with someone who can finish like Pasternak, forget it. It's it's going to be lights out every time against the opposition until they learn how to shut that down. But just like all great players in the game, when you're really good at putting the puck in the net, you're always going to find a way. And he just seems to be yes. one of those applesauce kind of dishers, and I just am all about it, honestly. Well, but actually, to give them credit, Florida brought some game to the table. They started to, After the goal, they started to exert some pressure. Omar made some pretty good saves. It wasn't a bad start by Florida. In fact, you know, into the second period, you were, you were wondering what would happen. I don't think there was a tremendous level of confidence in the stands when the first period was over, even with a one-goal lead. And then came what I thought was, well, it turned out to be the game-winning goal. But it, it, 
it could be a series turning goal to me. Marshan gets the puck less than four minutes into the second period, and off the and Lion had made some pretty good saves up till then. Marshan gets the puck, found himself with the the puck on the left wing, no obvious play to be had, and he he just simply wristed the puck on Florida's goal, and there's no other way to put it. Alex Lyon whiffed it. I mean, I was just, I was shocked. And it was a brutal goal that should have been an easy save. And it was, I think it was one of the announcers on, on ESPN that said, you know, he makes that save 99 out of 100 times, but this was the 100th time. And I thought it was a pretty way, good way to put it. But, you know, that's a dagger to Florida's gut. They're playing okay against the top team in the league. And it also, it wasn't just the one goal. It also puts a little bit of a seed of doubt in the Panthers players. Here's a guy that hasn't played a lot of hockey for them, even though he was good down the stretch. Um, You know, first two periods of the first Stanley Cup playoff game, and in the first five minutes, excuse me, the Bruins had scored twice. That That is tough for an underdog team to take. Um but they did get lucky with a, um, a pretty quick goal uh, by Matthew Tuchuk. Um, Dimitri Orlov, who I thought was just outstanding in the game, for, <laughs> except for this particular play, got cute. You remember the, it was a wraparound play then, and, and Orlov <clears throat> was on the wall in the corner. And I think, and I'm pretty sure, I looked at it a couple of times, he meant to redirect it to a centerman or one of his, support players in the middle of the ice. I don't think he just misplayed it and got unlucky. I think he just gambled and lost. Puck went right to Tuchuk, who was all alone out front, and he made no mistake. And, you know, it was uh, it was the only blemish on Olmark's game that particular night, and I think the only blemish on Orlov's game. But it did give them, the Panthers, I guess, a breath of life. Agreed? I definitely agree. Uh, you know, and especially on a night where Allmark's playing as good as he is, the defense core is keeping it together. I mean, l- let's be honest. We kept uh, Barkov to a pointless night, minus one, four shots altogether. He's one of the best shooters in the league. And that's not even counting Kachuk or Verhage or any of these other guys that are coming at you. So I agree with you entirely on the Orlov play. It looked like he made a choice, and it was not a good one. And we saw what happened. But I think that's also going to be one of those uh, uh-oh moments for him where he realizes, hey, I- I'm too far in my professional career to be making rookie mistakes like that again. I don't think so you're you, going to see something like that out of him again. <clears throat> so you're looking at two periods, and Florida's got the better of the shots, probably got the better got the better of the chances, but it's the Bruins who got a 2-1 lead, thanks in part to Alex Lyon's miscue on the second shot. So they go into the third period, and I thought the Bruins were the better team in the third period. They, they got an ugly goal, if there's such a thing. Wacky scramble around the Florida net, and Lyon made a save, and then Bertuzzi slapped out a rebound. And I, I don't think I've ever seen this before, really. The puck sat on top of Lyon's outstretched pad, and DeBrusque, now, now how do you get that in, off the goalie's pad? You have to just sort of swat it like a fly swatter or just flick it. Well, the best and, golf shot you'll ever make in your life. Yeah, I mean, it, it looked like it was a chip shot without taking a divot, and he just swiped it off the pad of Lyon, and all of a sudden it was 3-1, to one, and I thought uh, there was nothing else going on scoring-wise for the rest of the night, but that was the the one that finished them off. I thought the Bruins, you know, they weren't. They did have to kill a penalty. I think it was the start of the third that was the penalty killing was good. But if I was going to summarize it, it was a win. That's what they do, right? They don't have to always play at the top of their game. Wasn't pretty. Florida wants to forecheck, and they made it difficult at times. And Boston went. I think Boston went nine minutes without a shot on goal. Uh, in the second period, but Allmark again made it look like he was just in a rocking chair, just having a cup of hot tea and, and just so calm and relaxed. And Montgomery con- commented on that after the game. Best player on the ice for me was Tyler Bertuzzi. He played with an edge, he played with skill, a couple of helpers, and a, 
he had a goofy moment. I'm sure you saw it when he uh, wound up sort of uh, in the neutral zone with Nick Cousins, and they were both going for a change, and he wound up just plucking the stick out of Cousins' hands and carried it over the bench. It looked like Cousins was going to join him on the Bruins' bench, but he thought better of it. And Bertuzzi tried to break the stick and couldn't get the job done, and finally peace was restored. But it was it was kind of hilarious. He must have seen it. I sure did, and I have no idea what must have happened. I've never seen a player do that before, but that was sure mm-hmm. an entertaining bit of that. Uh, uh, but Bertuzzi just all over the place. What a great acquisition! I did. Yeah, a- no, he he was an MVP in the American Hockey League a few years ago, and um, you know. So he, I guess in big moments, he's in, at a different level. He's been known to get the job done. But it looks like, based on early viewing here, and it's early, that he's going to be a going concern for the opposition anytime he's on the ice. It's a beautiful thing. I did also want to get your opinion on the disallowed callback goal for Garnett Hathaway. I'm sure you saw that play where the yeah, puck I thought came it was down. it an easy call. He had the puck in his mitt and then... Hathaway swatted his catching mid, and it didn't take long. Maurice was pretty confident. You heard him on the bench. Don't go anywhere, boys. We're going to challenge this one. And it was a, it was a good challenge. But So kind of a workmanlike effort. Um, penalty killing good enough when it was needed. No, very good when it was needed. Power play got an early goal, which is always getting that first one, set you up for the rest of the night. Concerns. I don't know what's going on with Bergeron. Um, he leaves Montreal in game 82. They call it an injury. And then he comes back home. He takes a couple of days off. And then they say he's sick. And then I see him in the locker room, like in a group hug with everyone. And I'm scratching my head. Now, like, is it an injury or is it an illness? And if it's an illness, why is he breathing all over everybody? I mean, a little weird for my my sense and I don't know how you can disagree with that viewpoint but if he can't come back and he can't play in this series or let alone the rest of the series somebody on the Bruins or Bergeron himself has some splaining to do right I mean why would you play in Montreal and risk something but I guess as always we'll you know we'll find out more but early on a little bit of nervousness and even Marchand admitted to that they need a lot more on the four-check pace. They need to spend more time in the Florida zone. Um, they want that first-strike mentality because, you know, Florida knows they're up against that, particularly if they go back to Alex Lyon. That, 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 you know, it was Paul Maurice that said he had an A-plus game. Now, that's just a flat-out, I don't want to call it a lie. It's just a gross exaggeration. You give up the game-winning goal on a soft shot off the wing, that you should get 99 out of 100 times, you never get an A-plus for that game. And and he doesn't get an A-plus for that one, but based on that comment by Maurice, I guess we're going to see Alex Lyon in the, in, in the next game, although Bobrowski would be a logical choice. It wouldn't shock me, but but given those comments, it looks like he's going to Alex Lyon, and if, if Lyon can't get the job done in game two, then we may finally see the $10 million man in, in game three down in Florida, but that remains to be seen. But all in all, summing it up, you know, they did what they had to do. And they should be better. I think they will be better. Concerns are certainly there about Bergeron, but I can't. nobody knows this real story on this. I guess we'll see. Do they keep him out longer if he's injured to give him an extra couple of days because they've already won a game? I don't Nobody else knows, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be all marked back and goal, the same lineup on the blue line, and hopefully Bergeron's back in, and that gives them an even more formidable lineup than they had in game one. But first step of 16, Ben. That's right. One down, 15 more to go, and uh, it's going to be a wild ride one way or the other. And i got to say, 29 shots on goal, not a bad night of work. They've done better, but, hey, it's opening night. And 20 blocked shots between everybody all the way across with 43 hits, only four power, uh, penalties. Not too bad. Yeah, Not too bad at no, all. But the, yeah, they got one. McAvoy with eight hits in the game, but uh, wasn't it was physical at times, but not over the top. I expect that to heat up in game two, and I expect it to heat up from the beginning. But we've got plenty of other 
games to talk about and series to talk about. So let's get to that after this break, Ben. Sounds good. We'll be right back here on Gloves Off Hockey on 1510 WMEX. Hey, this is Mike Milbury for Ketchis Law. Ketchis Law Group has experienced injury lawyers who are ready to fight for you and get you what you deserve. They have won over $1 billion for their clients since 1986, and you don't pay anything unless they win. Ketchis Law Group is made up of 50 experienced attorneys and over 100 highly trained team members who truly care about your well-being and financial future. The team at Ketchis Law Group will work tirelessly to get you the results you deserve. Ketchis Law Group, where they take care of New Englanders who get hurt through no fault of their own. Call 508-321-7000 or learn more at catcheslaw.com. Welcome back. Gloves Off Hockey on WMEX with your friend Ben Rabinovitz alongside Mike Milbury. And we're talking playoffs tonight. Yeah, we are. And uh, playoffs galore. I mean, there are 16 teams, which means eight series, and Bruins, obviously, we just discussed, but there's another one in the East that was of interest, New York Islanders versus Carolina. What did you see out of that one, Ben? That was an interesting game up front. Obviously, both teams, no strangers to one another, and uh, it ended up being a 2-1 win for the Canes on home ice. Uh, Brent Burns would have a goal in that one. You'd also have Sebastian Ajo and Stefan Nosen. Uh, sorry, that was actually Burns on the assist on both of them. That was a nasty shot. I thought that was his. I'll be honest with you. I'm looking at the score sheet. Uh, but it uh, was a defenseman hater when Fords just take their shots and they get credit. Isn't that a thing? <laughs> you know? <laughs> but it was a great shot by Burns. And originally they had it look, look like they went to him, but uh, the net front guy got it. And who cares as long as they win it? But, um, you know, I was curious to see how this would play out. You actually said it was kind of a, like a sleeper kind of game. And I, I guess I agree. It absolutely was. I mean, don't get me wrong, the first half was amazing. That's when all the action was for the most part. But after that, it just kind of turned into the Islanders doing that Islander thing where they kick it out of their own way. And Carolina couldn't transition any of it of it necessarily. But it was a fun game of hockey through and through, but definitely not what I would have compared to, say, the Bruins-Panthers game or some of the no, other action I, in the I, league. I thought, um, you know, it was interesting, I think, in the four series last night, power plays were such a key, you know, nine power play goals in four games. I mean, that's a, that's an active night. And some of them were, you know, clearly, and we'll get to the LA, LA Edmonton game in a bit, but um, it seems to me that this is the way this is going to play out. Carolina Islanders, not going to be a lot of goal scoring either team. And, you know, particularly with Svechnikov out for Pacioretty out for Carolina. They always knew that they were going to have to do this with, you know, sticky checking and, you know, stingy defense. And, um, I, I, you know, at one point Carolina scared me because of the, their speed and their hefty forecheck, but they just don't seem to have enough punch for me. And nor do the Islanders, but but we'll play it out. Hopefully, that you know, you'll see a little bit more desperation from the Islanders uh, in game, game two. Then you're going to need to step it up quite a bit. They did have some good chances. I thought Ante Ranta was pretty good for Carolina, um, and the Islanders are going to have to make him work a little bit harder to cash in a little bit. That was Those were the early games. The later games were, well, I thought they were just terrific. You know, Los Angeles played Edmonton a year ago, and this was a rematch of a seven-game series. You know, L.A.'s been under the radar for a couple of seasons now, You know, at least around here. We wants to stay up till 1 o'clock to watch a hockey game on the West Coast. Not me most of the time. I'll try to tape some of them, but it's a sneaky good team. Not a lot of big names, but Adrian Kempe had 41 goals this year. Um, you know that Kopitar, who's a future Hall of Famer, has been terrific with almost 30 goals and 75 points. And, and then what? Alex Ayafalo, follow Victor Ivertson, Quentin Byfield. Who are these guys? And their blue line's kind of the same after you get past Drew Doughty. There's just not a lot of you know, people that we're familiar with. They did pick up the guy from Columbus, Gavrikov, to add some heft to their blue line. And and when you say no names, well, this is a team that's prided itself on Jonathan Quick for, for a decade, more than a decade now. But he sort of imploded there. And they brought in Phoenix Copley, who was holding fort until they traded for Jonas Corpusalo, who was the guy that was named to start last night. Again, not, not great names, but it was – 
guys that all of a sudden have found out that they might be a little bit better than everybody thought they were. And then, of course, they're playing against the greatest player in the world in Connor McDavid and arguably the second greatest player in the world in Leon Dreisaitl. Um, gaudy numbers, game breakers. They change the strategy of every coach that matches up against them. But they, that's, that's, that's not it on the offense for Edmonton. Highest scoring team in the league, best power play in the league. Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Evander Kane, Zach Hyman, you know. And defense was their Achilles heel, defense and goaltending. They pick up Matias Outcome was a really big acquisition for their defense. In the end, uh, Evan Bouchard, who seems to have a pretty good skill set, scored a great goal last night. But, you know, the goaltending, they picked up Jack Campbell for a five-year contract in the offseason, and he can't be their starter. So they go to Stuart Skinner, who took over and did a pretty darn good job. And that's how it's set up. It was fun. It was just fast. It was great speed both ways, enough good goals, goal scoring to keep your attention. And, you know, Dreisaitl uh, was immense early on. He, 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 you know, his first goal was a down low forecheck, and he just kind of waited in the weeds like a big, you know, leopard just waiting to pounce. And then at the right moment, he speeded up and found himself in the open, drilled a shot. It was just, it was great. Then they picked up a power play goal by Bouchard, who you know, it's a five-on three. <clears throat> they let him walk into the top of the circle, even deeper, almost to the hash mark, and he ripped a shot. I was surprised. I didn't know he had that kind of oomph in him. And it was uh, – it looked like at that point it was going to be a fairly easy affair. And then who should cough it up? There's a, a rush with Dreisaitl and McDavid heading towards the L.A. net. And McDavid – made a pass from about the bottom of the circle back towards the, the slot, trying to find Dreisaitl, and coughed it up. And all of a sudden, the puck rolls the other way, and L.A. is just flying, as uh, as I've now seen that they can do, having watched them a number of times. And Adrian Kempe, with a beautiful backhander, all of a sudden makes this game interesting again. And, you know, it the, the no-quit attitude of L.A. was impressive last night, but also... This is just a damn Stanley Cup playoffs. Your best player, the best player in the world, okay, is going to take some chances. Have, have the chances when you're going towards the net, not back towards the slot. That's dangerous. And I've seen him do that too often. He's been around too too long. But, you know, I also saw him go one on three and beat three guys and draw a penalty, which led to the five on three. But another story. And, you know, Dreisaitl got a power play goal, make it interest, made it a little bit more breathing room. But, but uh, LA's got no, they've got no quit in them. And they came back with, uh, you know, Adrian Kempney again. And, and it, was a, it was a quick snipe later. And, and all of a sudden, you got an interesting game. And, you know, what happened in the end, you know, again, talking about power plays, power play with the clock ticking down, LA's got the net empty. And, you know, it's, it's a really difficult time for defenders, obviously, six on four, but they seem to pack it in. And, they don't get aggressive at all. And, you know, Alex, I follow had some at Arvidsson and a great chance to make a backhand pass, a thing of beauty. And uh, I forget who it was at the shot, but Kopitar, Johnny on the spot with his fourth point of the night was 16 seconds to go. Tied game. Didn't see it coming. Give LA credit. And then, you know, in overtime, another power play goal for Los Angeles, seven passes in a row. Bing, 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 bang, bang, tic-tac-toe to finish it, a thing of beauty. And all of a sudden, you know, uh, it was a it was a one nothing lead for the underdogs, and they go they go back to the hotel feeling happy, and Edmonton's left with what the hell we got to do next. Um, interesting series. I would have said I would have said Edmonton in five or six because I think they were rolling so well at the end of the year, but LA wasn't playing too badly either. I might have to check myself on this one, but it was a fun series. It was a fun game, Ben. It sure was, and uh, that wasn't even the only game on the docket. We still have to talk about Minnesota and, of course, uh, uh, the Dallas Stars. What a game that ended up being. Controversy, goal scoring, lots of shots, unbelievable night. And i got to tell you, the two goaltenders, uh, Philip Gustafson and Jake Ottinger, what a show, what a clinic. It ends up, of course, in the hands of the Wild, 3-2 in double overtime. Ryan Hartman goes in for the win. 
Did you see the hit from Dumba to Pavelski, though? And I got to get your take oh on that God. one. I loved it. That was a, well, what, what happened on that play was Pavelski was coming down the left wing, and there was, and I don't know who it was from Minnesota, that had a little bit of a beat on him. And Dumba was just behind that defender. And so that means Pavelski, Pavelski couldn't see him. So he was trying to make the corner around the net, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, comes Dumba and he Pavelski did release the puck a smidgen before and was a little bit late, but otherwise it was not a dirty hit. It was not an illegal hit. They called it a five minute majors that to do that. They, they can then go back and look at it. They reviewed it. They called it a minor. And, uh, and I think they got the call right, but I, I hope he's okay. Pavelski, great competitor. But and and on the top line for the Dallas Stars, but not only was that a, I mean, it was a statement. It was a momentum momentum changing moment for the Minnesota Wild, who kind of like the LA Kings have, you know, kind of flown under the radar, but have had a hell of a season. But talk about making a statement! Oh, and, and they've done made it. That is for certain. Um, well, there's uh, plenty of action. Otherwise, coming up, we are very excited about the entire playoff structure, and I know the Bruins game too. That's going to be a fun one coming up. But we are. Yeah, co- we'll get to preview that. But you know, we got some some action from last night to talk about too. The rest of the teams in the uh, the Eastern Conference, the local teams: Devils, Rangers, Tampa, Toronto. You know, and out west again, we've got the Avalanche busy again and it's it's well we got four other games to discuss so just so many games going on it's tough to stay on top of them but i gotta tell you the rangers Devils series you know local rivalry got a history there from the beginning of the season uh, i had the rangers as a team to be reckoned with the goaltending gets a check mark shesterkin is among the elite goaltenders in the league defense gets a check mark adam fox norris trophy winner jacob truba tough tough number two defenseman, and they pick up Lindgren and Schneider and Miller and Mikola. This is a good group of mobile and pretty sizable defense, so check mark there as well. And up front, they already had a pretty good core with Zibanejad, Panarin, Kreider, Trocek, and the kid line with Lafreniere, Cheadle, and uh, who am I missing? I guess Kako. Uh, but at the deadline, they did, you know, we think the Bruins did a big service to themselves. Well, they pick up Patrick Kane and Vladimir Tarasenko. Talk about adding, adding pop to your offense. The only question was, could they mesh it all together? And meanwhile, the New Jersey Devils sort of propelled its team ahead of schedule, multi-talented forward group, an electric Jack Hughes, equally dynamic Nico Heischer, big, you know, number one first picks overall, talented wingers and Dawson Mercer, Brad Plot. Got better when they picked up Meyer at the deadline. Good defensive group, better than the given credit for. Pretty quick, pretty speedy group. Doug Hamilton, good power play goal. Goaltending was a question mark, but Vitek Vanacek has had a pretty good season. And my, my pick going into this was Rangers in six. And last night, New Jersey was blitzed by New York. I mean, simply <clears throat> blown out of the water. Tarasenko... Beautiful pass from Keandre Miller for a 1-0 lead fairly early. And then the power play got to work, and Kreider, who's been terrific over time on the power play, won a draw back to Fox at the point, and and Fox had four assists on the night. He knows how to put it to the net with a purpose, and Kreider with a great redirect. In the second, Lindgren, another defenseman, scored a goal from a really ridiculous angle, but and then another power play goal for the Rangers. Fox again finds Kreider in front for a redirect for zip. And New Jersey just didn't know which end was up. You expect their inexperience to be a problem. Uh, Hughes did score in a penalty shot before Cheadle sealed a deal with an empty net goal. Much work for New Jersey to be done. Much work. Um, especially against the power play. Uh, this is a you know, as he, you know, the proverbial must win uh, game two at home for New Jersey if they want to extend this series. But I'll stick by my original prognostication, Rangers in six. But that wasn't the only 
series going on in the Eastern Conference last night. Then it was Tampa and Toronto, and that was something special. It sure was, and it was very special for the Maple Leaf faithful for uh, all of about 20 minutes, it felt like. Tampa Bay Lightning really took it to them, though, and man, oh man, you couldn't have uh, been in a worse-off situation by the end of the first period. Lightning up 3 nothing going into the first intermission, and the fans in Toronto... Well, I don't have to speak to their heartbreak, Mike. It's a it's a time-honored tradition in this league. Has been since 1964, if I recall correctly. And uh, it looks like that is uh, continued on with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, they did. Well, it's a little early to write them off, but this was this this illuminated their biggest problem that they've had over the course of time, and that's defense and particularly goaltending. Sam Sonoff was leaky, and he got pulled and. I don't know if Matt Murray's healthy enough or good enough shape to get it done, but uh, four power play goals for Tampa, two for Toronto, by the way. But, you know, they, they did make it 3-2 interesting at one point, but this one was, you know, I've always – I've sort of put the coffin on the, the the Tampa Bay Lightning's window to win another cup, but <laughs> they sure look like they were ready to make another run at it. They sure are, and honestly, I don't even care if they make another cup. As long as they got enough in the tank to take care of Toronto, that's what's going to be the real heartbreaker. But, I mean, you can't – if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs, you're not going to get very far. 15 penalty minutes in the game. Granted, they outhit them 42-39, but they were also just completely outclassed, it felt like. And on the face-off percentage, you could see it very clearly, 56%. For Toronto, they at least had that going for them. But if you can't convert a face-off win into a sustainable play that results with a quality shot on net, I'm not really sure what the game plan is outside of that. But Toronto's got an awful lot of talent, and it doesn't look like they know what to do with it at the moment. So, No, they. Um, you, you mentioned the pressure. I mean, there's not another city in the league, uh, or maybe in all of sports, maybe the Yankees but or the Red Sox, but the focal point of everyone in that city or nearly everyone in that city is the Maple Leafs and their, and their ability to win a playoff round. It, it has been uh, a long slog to get to a point where there's actual hope that they could move ahead. But, you know, this not only is a building banged out, but they have a whole, you know, a whole plaza full of, tens of thousands of people, the pressure is just immense. And they get squashed like that in game one just uh, amplifies that pressure uh, tenfold. And it, it's going to be tough for them to to climb out of it. I mean, we talk about another must win. You lose your first one at home. Uh, you can't afford to lose that second one. But they, they're doing it under the microscope and under incredible pressure and against one of the great goaltenders in the league, and Andre Vasilevsky, uh, their their work is clearly cut out for them, and and um, and the pressure is not going to help them. But I really was impressed with Tampa's ability to get the job done last night on the power play. Uh, I mean, in fact, all, all over the league, the power plays have been much more frequent and much more effective than I thought they'd be. Usually, people buckle down on the PK; they have it pre-scouts and all that kind of stuff, but. You know, six power play goals in this game was, you know, eye-popping for me. But the, the fact that the Maple Leafs got four of them and and, and were able to win this one going away um, is going to put questions particularly on the goaltender who was, you know, who was besieged but still wasn't that good. So Tampa rises again and Toronto waffles again. Uh, and the pressure, of course, increases incredibly. So we'll mm. keep an eye on that one uh, tomorrow night. But I had uh, in this series, if I were picking them, I probably would have picked what well, would have picked Toronto in in um, six or seven games. But you know, now that I I didn't do that on the air, I get to pick again. So Tampa in six. <laughs> I like it. I, I mean, like it. You got to yeah. go with the the hot hand. You got to go with it. So you know, road team wins in Toronto. Road team wins in New Jersey, and that trend actually continued um, across the board here. Now, you know, I was focusing in, you know, we're splitting up our duties to look at various teams, 
and I focused in on Seattle and Colorado. Not a lot of money being bet on Seattle in this matchup. Um, Colorado is the defending Stanley Cup champs, and they're loaded with talent, as everybody knows, even without uh, Gabriel Landeskog, who unfortunately has missed almost the entire season. Um, on the blue line, Kale McCarr, Norris Trophy winner, considered by a lot of people to be the best defenseman in the league. But Byram, Gerard, Taves, mobile as well, and some size with Eric Johnson and Manson. So this is a great defensive grouping. And in goal, well, Alex Georgiev was back up to Shesterkin in New York, got his chance to be a number one, not playoff tested. And um, that was a question mark. So the, the forwards certainly aren't, not with McKinnon and Ranton and Lakin and Rodriguez, you know, conference. It looks like it's just a wagon full of talent, which doesn't mean anything when you face – a team that was hungry as Seattle, but you know, they're still considered the, the expansion team. It's only the second year, but you know, not so fast when you pigeonhole them like that five on five during the regular season, they were the league leaders and five on five play. That kind of takes me aback a little bit. They got a quick no name group of forwards. McCann had 40 goals. Manny Beignets, Beignets is is going to be a, Good player in this league. Grubauer is the goaltender. Capable, but not well, you wouldn't put him at the top of the list of top half of the goaltenders in the league by any stretch. And they're going to lean on Adam Larson and Vince Dunn, who, uh, you know, have had a miraculous year, but they eat up practically half the, half the game on the blue line. The question will be if they can continue to do that. I would have picked Colorado in four or five. Well, they better win four in a row because um, – Seattle last night just took it to the avalanche from the get-go. Uh, when a team comes as hard as Seattle does, even against this team as skilled as Colorado is on the blue line, you're gonna you're gonna get turnovers, and that's exactly what happened on the first goal. Uh, they got right in Devin Taves' face. He's a skilled player. He tried to get tricky up the middle, and Eli. Uh, it and picked it off, and he, he beat Georgiev with kind of a second-shot try. So can't can't pin that one on the goaltender. But for an underdog team, this is just a blueprint of what they're supposed to do. I mean, they were they were ready to play, underestimated, and that first goal, so early on as it was, uh, gave them a believability in themselves that they could win. It gave them it gave them credence to a forechecking style that they used all year long with success, and uh, you know Colorado did come back to tie it on a great play by two skilled players in McKinnon and Rantanen. But early in the second, Alex Wenberg beat Georgiev from from the circle. I thought Georgiev it was a softy. He wasn't set. You know how Allmark is able to move east west then, and he gets set and just square. So well, Georgiev looked, yeah, he looked like he was, he was almost tipping over. Agreed. So agreed. I, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was a goal that could have been stopped, uh, and yet he didn't. And again, early in the period, period three, uh, again on a four check, even even though it was a little bit of a bad bounce for Colorado, Wenberg fished out a puck from behind the net, found Morgan Geeky in a slot, bang three to one. And pretty much that's all she wrote. Colorado had some flashes, uh, but they couldn't execute when it was counted, and their their coach said as much. And their their ex-goalie in Seattle, Philip Grubauer, couldn't be solved. This is going to be a pretty damn interesting series now. I mean, I, I thought it would be a, a blowout, but um, it doesn't look to be anything like that. So... That was my take on those two, but there was another one where the road warriors were able to rise up and, you know, be counted. And that was, uh, that was Vegas against Winnipeg. Indeed it was. And, uh, Vegas really came into this one expected to be, uh, tops. And, you know, I got to tell you, they, uh, they did not perform the way I think that their coaching staff thought they would have, uh, only being able to pot one, uh, 
Wild Bill Carlson got out there to get one in the uh, second period, but unfortunately for him, not nearly enough in a 5-1 rout by the Winnipeg Jets upon the Golden Knights. And a scary situation in the middle of that whole thing too, Mike. Did you catch the replay of uh, that, that Winnipeg Jet player catching the goaltender's skate to the face? Yeah, it's, it's not a... It's not, I don't go looking for the car crash, but this was one you couldn't avoid. I mean, 70, he, he got, yeah. 75 stitches, and he returned to the game. Yeah. I mean, give him credit uh, for coming back. And, you know, it was funny. I heard him interviewed after the game, and they asked him what he was thinking when the incident occurred. And he said, I was wondering if the puck crossed the goal line. That was the first thing out of his mouth. Now, you know, am I going to lose an eye or am I going to be able to play again? He just wanted to know if the puck went in the net. Kind of an interesting comment. But you remember uh, when we had Jeremy Roenick on, oh, God, I don't know what it was, a month or so ago, I asked him about teams that he liked in the Western Conference. And he surprised me by saying, you know, he surprised me by saying Winnipeg. I mean, they, they had some moments. They started the year well, but then they really kind of faded. I know their goaltending in Hellebuck is, is good. We've got Morrissey, Wheeler, you know, Dubois has been a good player. Kyle Connor can score all the time. But, you know, they last night outshot Vegas 31-17. to 17. Um, They clearly were better prepared, ready to go from the get-go, uh, and Vegas was not. Um this is going to – the big question now for Bruce Cassidy is what is he going to do with his goaltender? He's got Jonathan Quick who sat on the bench last night in favor of Broussard who, you know, I mean, they've had all sorts of goaltending issues this year because of injuries, and Quick was a late pickup. But he had played pretty well for them, I think, down the stretch. And obviously with two Stanley Cups in his back pocket, I got to think that he's going to be – a likely candidate to get reinserted into the net. And the goaltending questions are always paramount in the postseason. Um, but when you lose, you're the conference uh, leading team in the regular season playing the eighth seed, and you get beat fairly handily, um, the focus is going to go back to the goaltender when you give up five goals. And, and it's got to be a tough decision. I, I'm going to be surprised if it's not Jonathan Quick. Same. Absolutely. Same here. And I mean, especially after these two teams played such a physical, grinded out kind of game, final hits would end up being in favor of the Golden Knights, 65 to 51, 65 hits from the Golden Knights and still not enough to overpower the Winnipeg Jets. And I mean, power play is not so much a factor in this particular game. Uh, Only one on the board. It belongs to the Jets and uh, each team had three cracks at it. So not too shabby in that regard, but just a very grinded out kind of game. And these two teams, of course, it seems like the Western Conference overall has really been no stranger to the physical side of this game, which, as we all know, you're not going to make it to the Stanley Cup Finals without some physicality, but you got to be able to counterbalance that with the skill and finesse that these players possess. And uh, from the Vegas Golden Knights, I mean, to take your pick. I mean, who do you want to point at first? Phil Kessel, Jack Eichel, uh, Riley Smith. Uh, the list goes on. Barbashev, Mark Stone. Yeah, I thought it was Eichel a minus was three. Average, I thought Eichel was really. I know he's had some injuries, but he was turning the puck over all over the place, and I, that's not what you want to see from your, you know, your best player, and that. It can be deflating when, you know, your top line players make mistakes that, you know, are very apparent. And and I saw that from Michael last night. I think they'll be better in game two. I think they need to be better in game two. But Winnipeg looks like they pulled it together just in time to become a a thorn in the side of the Vegas Golden Knights. How the, how the Knights respond to this is going to be uh, – uh, very interesting to me. But as usual, these first-round series, you know, everybody on the road winning, it's uh, whatever can happen will happen in the NHL playoffs. But that's a quick wrap on the, the all of the eight series going on. Why don't we take a quick break, Ben, and we'll come back, talk a little Bruins, and maybe just a quick 
catch up on what's going on uh, here tonight after we're off the air. You got it. We'll be right back on Gloves Off Hockey here on 1510 WMEX. It's their party, and they'll sing if they want to. Greater Boston Stage Company in Stoneham proudly presents Beehive, the 60s musical. Flower power meets girl power in the hit-filled tribute to the girl groups and solo singers who made the 60s so groovy. Running April 14th through May 7th at Greater Boston Stage Company in Stoneham, get your tickets to Beehive, the 60s musical at greaterbostonstage.org. Back here on Gloves Off Hockey, your friend Ben, Mike Milbury, and we're breaking it down here. The playoffs tonight at 7 o'clock, they start right back into it again, Mike, and we got a whole docket full of games ready to go. Well, one of the more lackluster series that we've seen out of the eight was the Carolina Islanders game. Neither team has really got – they both work really hard. Uh, they, they deserve a lot of credit for staying with it. They have character players but they just don't have the skill. As we talked about earlier, Svechnikov and Pacioretty, guys that they expected to be offensive forces in the playoff, both out for Carolina. Um, the Islanders do have Anders Lee. They've got Barzell back in the lineup. But, you know, they should, they should be, you know, a two- or three-goal-a-game team, but they're not going to blow you out. They're not, they're not Tampa. They're not Toronto. They're not the Bruins. Um, this, you know, because of the work ethic of both teams, but I think there's just a little bit more experience on the Carolina side. I'm going to go with Carolina tonight. I think they can get the job done. It's, but obviously the Islanders down one already, they know going down two, even if they're going home, um, puts them up against it, meaning they'd have to win four or five games and against a preseason team in Carolina. That's not a, that's not a good bet. That's how I see that one playing out. The Wild and the Stars, well, man, holy mackerel did the Wild come hard at the Stars. I mean, Joe Pavelski is out. I don't know if you, you know, anybody ever talked about the hit on uh, Dumba on Pavelski. Um, clearly, you know, not right when he left the ice surface, but it was the Wild that were just – they're a hard team, boy. They play physically. They play hard. Uh, they've got some. They've got some skilled players up front, and looks like their goaltender has it figured out. Um, you know, I, I'm, I've never been a. I haven't been a Stars besides Ottinger and that first line, which now is without Pavelski. And you're talking about you know Robertson, Rupe, Hints, along with Pavelski. I, I'm not. I can't believe in Sagan. I've never been a big believer in him. Talented he might be. Jamie Ben had a good bounce back season, but I don't. I mean, uh, Ottinger's going to have to be really good against them, and uh, I don't know if he can be that good to put them in a position to to win the series. They may win a game or two now, but I think the Wild are in the driver's seat. You. Absolutely agree. Uh, I called for the Wild to be the winners of this series, I believe at least earlier. <laughs> but I got to tell you, after uh, everything I've seen, heard, and read, I really think the Wild are going to give the Stars a real run for their money. And uh, much like Toronto, the Wild and their fan base are absolutely thirsty for a win and a series win at that in the playoffs. I'm looking for the Wild to continue uh, on their path, but. I'm not going to count Dallas out quite yet. I think it's going to go wild in six. I'm well, gonna, I'm going to go as with. As I said, I put my money on Andre to win a game or two. He was great uh, in the later stages of that game, but um, he'll need to be consistently that way as the wild will pour on the heat. Um, third series that continues tonight Kings and Oilers, improbable comeback by the LA Kings, who were down 3 1 and managed to come back and tie it on a power play with just just a tick over 16 seconds to go in regulation. And uh, it was it was Kopitar that pounced on a rebound and tied it up. And then they managed to uh, grab a power play in overtime. And I think I mentioned in a, earlier they, a, a sequence of seven consecutive passes. It was, it was really a thing of beauty. I thought Edmonton was caught flat-footed defensively, you know, which has been one of their bugaboos is playing sound defensively. But the whole Edmonton team had started off playing pretty darn well. And uh, it looked like they were in control. 
We talked about McDavid coughing up the puck. He, I think he's going to be a man possessed tonight myself. Agreed. I think you're going to see great stuff from McDavid. Dreisaitl was the best player on the ice in game one, but I think, you know, McDavid has a, he has a point to prove. You know, everybody talks about him as a generational player. Everybody talks about him as, you know, one of the great players of going to be, assuming he stays healthy, going to go down as one of the great players of all time. He needs to prove that he can do it as a leader and win a cup. Um, and he seems to be a pretty focused individual. Uh, I think the Oilers bounce back. I think that, you know, Skinner was okay. The goalie was okay in game one, but uh, I think this is, you're going to see uh, a hyped up Connor McDavid. And I certainly wouldn't want to play defense against a guy like that with that skill set and that level of motivation. So I'm going to pick the, uh, going to pick the Oilers tonight, but this one's, this one's going to be a fun one to watch. It's a fat, fast series and, and a, you know, entertaining series. And, you know, I, I expect like last year, this may very well go to seven games with that. That brings us to the last and most important series. Um, the word on the street now is Bergeron is not going to be dressed for game two. Uh, he's, skated a little bit and uh we've seen that and now it looks like it you know you can rule out the sickness thing because he's he's skating again but it's just it's hard for me to speculate yeah i listened to talk radio today they were all over the place in terms of what possibly could be wrong with him but you know uh, as we mentioned earlier i don't think a guy who's got an illness is a guy that you hang around with in the locker room and he did skate so it's going to be uh it's going to be a matter of time. They can get the job done without it. I think they need to play with a lot more pace. The Bruins do early. Uh, Florida was pretty effective for two periods. They outshot the Bruins practically two to one, and, and they're going to need to redouble those four checking efforts. And, you know, somehow, you know, find a way to squeak one that maybe is a little dirty or ugly past Omar because he looks again in the postseason to be the same confident uh, goaltender that he was all throughout the regular season. And in the meantime, uh, it looks like uh, they're going back, Florida is, to Alex Lyon. And uh, the question is, would you go to the $10 million man? Uh, apparently not. Um, if they don't win game two in Boston, that thinking might change unless Lyons is particularly – effective against Boston, but I think this one's on the Bruins. I think they were just okay until the third period where they smothered Florida. They didn't have that puck possession game that we enjoy watching so much. They didn't have possession and control in the offensive zone nearly as much as I thought they would. Um, I think they shake off the, the nerves. They shake off, you know, opening night playoff jitters and and they move back to the kind of team that we've seen them play despite the absence of Bergeron. I think this one is going to go into the bag for for Boston, but let's make no mistake, if Florida can skate and they can forecheck and they know that they, you know, what they did in game one, while it might have been pretty good, just ain't good enough. Well said, Mike. Well said. Uh, it's it's the Bruins game to lose tonight. So honestly, we know that they're going to come out and do whatever they can do. And uh, head coach Jim Montgomery will have the boys ready to roll. But ultimately, it's uh, up to the ice to decide what happens out there. But I know I will be glued to my television set tonight. I know you will as well. Then about, oh, I don't know, 80% of the country at this point. Um, it's playoffs. It's the second best time of year outside of Christmas. And Mike, I just don't see how these matchups get any more more entertaining than they are yeah well we got another week to go before we come back at it next wednesday and uh you know i can't wait to chomp on some of the topics du jour because we're gonna have every uh every night brings another controversy every night brings another hero story every night brings another tale of woe um until this thing runs the gamut in, in early june so uh i know my dvr is set for about four rounds of playoff hockey and I get to watch them at my leisure over the next 24 hours, but as soon as you finish watching them, the next four come up. So it's the hockey guys' time of year, and I'm enjoying every second of it. So we'll see you guys next Wednesday, and we'll chat then. 
Excellent. You have a great weekend, my friend. And to all of our listeners out there, don't forget, you can catch all the past episodes online at WMEXBoston.com. Simply click on the podcast for Gloves Off Hockey, and you're off and running to the races. Have a great night. Stay tuned. More music coming up next on WMEX.